This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Here in Season 3, we're featuring the steampunk series, Guardians of the Time Stream. This is a chapter from the prequel story, Odessa Fremont. Ready for fun with fantastical fiction? Then let's begin. Chapter 6 Another group arrived, most on horseback, but two steam carts among them. A lantern appeared in the doorway of the building where Miss Van Hastings and the senior teachers lived, but S. wasn't at a good angle to see who it was. Several men let out muffled curses and darted into hiding behind the wagons and steam carts. Then one man left the group of the newest arrivals and stomped across the school grounds to the door, hissing and gesturing angrily. Miss Van Hastings' distinctive snapping voice responded. Botheration, S. muttered. The resurrectionists couldn't possibly be starting their meeting today, this morning, could they? The wretched men couldn't abide by their own arrangements, having to arrive half a day ahead of schedule. Why? Maybe there was a traitor among the Secret Service, and someone had managed to warn them that the jig was up? Maybe they just needed more time to assemble for their meeting, so that such large numbers arriving all at once wouldn't attract so much attention? Whatever the reason, S. knew she wouldn't get much sleep, if at all, today. She knew the tunnels running below the school very well. In many places, the pipes and gears and belts and such running the various mechanisms underground ran alongside the tunnels where the men traveled about, and there were access hatches at regular intervals. S. knew she was small enough to travel through the mechanism tunnels, allowing her to remain unseen while she could observe everything the plotters did and said. She had a brand new sketching book and a handful of sharp pencils. Why not sketch the faces of the men who came for the meeting, so if any of them escaped, she could give some help to the Secret Service? Miss Van Hastings had grudgingly complimented S. on her ability to draw lifelike portraits with simple pencil lines, no need for watercolors or chalk to fill in the details. She had managed to turn the compliments sour by remarking that if S. failed in making a decent marriage, she might earn a living as an assistant to an artist or perhaps working for a newspaper or a retailer with a large catalog to produce each year. Her entire sojourn at the Academy crystallized into that experience for S. If Miss Van Hastings had simply left the compliment B, if she hadn't felt the need to grind her students under her heel to remake their minds and spirits to suit her purposes, if she had simply been a little kinder, they would not be in this place, in this moment in time. S. never would have suspected the woman, would never have spied, would never have found the letters, would never have learned about the resurrectionists. What would her grandparents say about all this? She mused on that as she prepared her campaign in the tunnels and shadows. Ernest might wax philosophical and conclude by admonishing S. to be careful how she treated everyone she encountered, even in the most casual and temporary fashion. She had no idea who she might encounter at a crucial moment, who would remember and make future decisions based on how she had impressed them. By mid-afternoon, S. felt sure she had sketched every man in the tunnels, she gladly retreated back to her original hiding hole. Her activities had left her feeling bent and cramped and achy exhausted. 
She searched the main kitchen during a lull between cleaning up from luncheon and beginning preparations for dinner. The chickens in their enormous roasting pans were just starting to send up a fragrance that made her mouth water, and twice as much bread as usual was baking, perhaps to feed the men in the tunnels, and a peek in the icebox revealed the makings of a massive custard and a huge bowl of strawberries, cleaned and glistening with sugar. S. wanted to sabotage the kitchen, if only to make the resurrectionists go hungry tonight, but she had learned some caution during the day. Several near misses had frightened her. She had heard the men discuss plans for where they would go next, who they planned to attack, to rob, and several government officials and offices they would strike at. This was no longer a game. She felt rather grimy in soul as well as body, as she confiscated a bucket of water and hauled it up to the attic to wash and make herself a little cooler. What had she been thinking, making this her own private war of petty retribution? Maybe she should change her plans and attach herself to Giles when she met up with him again? Giles knew all her grandparents' friends, especially the secret ones. Surely they would have more resources to find out what had happened to Ernest and Matilda than S. ever could, even if she went to South America and retraced all their steps. What had she been thinking? Yes, it was all a fine adventure, in theory, but she wouldn't be fifteen for another few months. They should concentrate on finding her brother and then seeking her grandparents, no matter how long it took to find Ulysses. Never mind that she had proven herself far more mature and responsible than Ulysses. He was her brother, an adult now, and people wouldn't give a second glance at a brother and sister traveling together. While grimy boys living on the street were often invisible, S. couldn't depend on people to ignore a boy traveling all alone on a ship to South America. Botheration, she muttered. S. pulled her last pieces of clean clothing on her still-wet body and lay down in the nest of cushions she had fashioned for herself. At a time like this, her grandmother would scold her for complicating things, for making a muddle of something that, with a little clear thinking, would turn out to be simple. Then Matilda would gently cuff the back of her head and admonish, "'And just how much praying have you put into this effort? The world doesn't rest entirely on your shoulders, young lady.' You can't solve every problem before you turn 18. As clever as you are, present your puzzle to the good Lord and then wait, however long you must, until the solution arrives. The waiting is the hard part, Granny, S. muttered, and closed her eyes. A tiny giggle snort escaped her when a dizzy sensation immediately wrapped around her in the darkness behind her eyelids. Definitely, she had exhausted herself today. If she was lucky... Most of her muddled thinking came from weariness and hunger. The rattle of multiple wheels and hooves on the gravel in the yard below yanked S into full waking. She blinked and sat up, confused as she stared around herself. Everything was in twilight. She must have slept at least four or five hours. Trembling in anticipation, she hurried to the ventilation slats with the best view of the main yard of the school. When she was two steps away from it, she heard the thudding of a fist on a door, underscored by the sounds of dozens of feet running across the gravel. S. looked down. Everywhere she looked, men in dark blue uniforms with gold trim spread across the school grounds, going into buildings, surrounding buildings. More men arrived while the man who had knocked on the main building door, 
conspicuous because he was not in an army uniform but a brown suit, waited for someone to answer. A maidservant answered, freezing in the doorway, her eyes and mouth so wide with shock as could see them from her perch in the attic. Then the girl let out a shriek and darted back into the building. She tried to slam the door, but the man stopped her. A moment later, he had one arm around her waist and the other clamped over her mouth. Her eyes got even wider. Then he nodded to the soldiers and stepped into the building, carrying the maidservant with him. Four soldiers followed him inside. S. wanted more than anything to go down into the tunnels and watch the soldiers round up the resurrectionists. She was sure it would be like chasing down rats with torches and pitchforks ramming into the openings of their dens for good measure. Common sense said anyone caught running through those tunnels would be considered an enemy of the Union. If they didn't cooperate immediately when ordered, they would likely be shot. She would just have to trust that the Secret Service knew what it was doing. Still, she positively, physically ached with the waiting. S. found some entertainment in the uproar as all the students fled screaming from the dining room on the first floor of the main building, out the double doors onto the veranda. They huddled together like so many fancy-dressed shrieking chickens, gathering the youngest girls into the middle of the group. To her disgust, the older girls quieted down quickly enough when they caught sight of the soldiers. Several of her classmates were foolish enough to suddenly turn to giggles and making eyes at the men guarding them. S. muffled some laughter of her own when someone barked an order, clear through the chaos of shouting and banging of doors and distant gunfire, and the six soldiers circling the group of students turned their backs on them. Miss Van Hastings and the teachers were herded outside next, kept in a group some distance from the students. S. couldn't make out what the headmistress said, but it sounded as if she were sobbing and babbling. The soldiers didn't actually believe her patently false tears and terror, did they? Scant moments later, a man staggered from the barn, shoving aside the sliding doors, followed by streamers of smoke. At first, she thought his clothes were on fire, but more smoke gushed out after him. Five more men erupted from the thickening clouds, staggering and choking and swearing, abruptly cut off as half the soldiers in the yard turned sharply and raised their rifles at them. Hmm, miscalculated, she muttered. Or maybe not. The sabotage she had performed underground had finally caused the machine to seize up, and the gears to burn out, and the oil to burst into flames. Either way, she was satisfied with her handiwork. As the minutes flew past, more men came into the yard, either up through the tunnel and trap door in the floor of the barn, or herded from various other buildings spread across the school grounds. S. couldn't discern if anyone was soaking wet. Perhaps the hatch into the flooded tunnels hadn't opened, or maybe no one had tried to escape that way. Mr. Van Hastings was very easy to identify. When he stepped into the yard, his sister erupted in louder shrieks of fury. She dashed toward him, pointing a shaking arm. Sobbing hysterically, she went to her knees halfway across the yard, collapsing in a puddle of skirts. "'Well, you are quite an actress, aren't you?' S. said, disgusted by the two soldiers who hurried to stand over her and pointed their rifles at Mr. Van Hastings. He responded with curses and pointing in his turn. The man in the brown suit apparently was the leader of the government forces. Soldiers and other men in plain clothes. Agents? Detectives? Spies of some kind? 
turned to face him, or moved out of his way as he crossed the yard. He gestured, and the two soldiers each separated Miss Van Hastings and her brother from all the others, then escorted them in their leader's wake into the main building. S. counted the prisoners as they were shackled and loaded into wagons. Some of the resurrectionists fought and swore. They earned blows, sometimes with fists to the face, sometimes rifle butts to the backs of their heads. Some were gagged. S. focused on their faces, until the twilight thickened too much to make out details. Even when the soldiers brought enough torches into the yard to illuminate it as bright as daylight, she couldn't be sure of all the features to identify each man she had studied and sketched during the long day hiding and creeping through the tunnels. By her count, at least ten of the resurrectionists hadn't been caught. Whether they had found a hiding place in the tunnels or had escaped into the countryside, maybe even managed to get into a rowboat and cross the river before it sank. She hoped all of them sank. She couldn't be sure. Most of the serpents had been caught. That was all she cared about. However, that didn't mean she had to leave the situation there. Why else would she have risked her freedom, maybe her life, spying on the rebels all this long, hot, grimy, cramped day? We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. This is your invitation to visit a place called Wildvine County. In multiple worlds, universes, and dimensions of reality, there are tales of hub worlds where many different realms can meet and intersect. Some people travel through worlds using the power of the mind and talents born into the blood, while others are chosen through vision and prophecy and step between worlds with the power of talismans. None can go to the other's worlds, except when they meet in a hub world. Wildvine County, somewhere in the United States, is that pivotal point where the travelers from multiple worlds and universes meet. Come meet the refugees from a world called Radana, as they make a place for themselves among the people of Earth, and wait for the day when one of them is born with the power to find that doorway through dimensions to take them home. Begin the saga of the Radonian refugees with the book Jahana, then Historica, Felon Rue, Old Solar's Shop, Apprentice Solar, and Taxera, and many more titles after that, through several generations of seekers, prophets, visionaries, and explorers. Wildvine County Fantasy Series from Michelle Levine and Writers Exchange mlevine.com and writers-exchange.com And now, back to the story. The Secret Service searched every building, every room on the school grounds the following day. S. barely got her small camp disassembled, scattering the cushions of her nest among the other detritus in the attic, and took the dumbwaiter to hide just before three soldiers came up into her attic hideaway. She decided the safest place to be was following on the heels of one of the search parties, gambling that they wouldn't look over their shoulders, but always ahead, into the next unexplored room and hallway and attic. She spent much time crouching in one dumbwaiter or another, listening to the soldiers talk, learning their names, hearing them talk about their families, about what other teams had discovered in searching the school grounds, and what they thought of Miss Van Hastings. 
To her disgust, while many soldiers doubted the woman's claims that she was unaware of most of her brother's actions, the leader of the raid, Agent Randolph Sutter, seemed to accept her claim. The school would remain open, although many of the parents were retrieving their daughters in the next few days. That evening, S. returned to the attic that had been her headquarters when she had been merely spying on Miss Van Hastings. She watched cart after wagon after cart pull out of the yard, loaded with prisoners and evidence, and crate upon crate of weapons taken from the tunnels. She was certainly disgusted that she hadn't found the weapons cache, because she would have liked to have confiscated more ammunition for her derringer, and sabotaged some of those guns. When night fell, leaving only a few soldiers standing guard, she took the dumbwaiter system down to the floor housing the older students, and crept into Fanny's room. Her friend didn't disappoint her. She reacted calmly when S. whispered her name and shook her shoulder, sitting up in bed and reaching for the matchbox to light her bedside candle. Her look of surprise changed instantly to delight, and she shook with silent laughter. Many of their fellow students would have shrieked and erupted with dozens of questions at the top of their voices, or even called out in alarm, running to tattle to one of their teachers that the runaway had returned. "'What have you been doing and where have you been?' Fanny whispered and tucked up her legs, making room for S. to sit on her bed. "'Are those boy clothes really as comfortable as they look? "'What heaven! Not having to worry about skirts or heels or your hair. "'You didn't cut your hair, did you?' she sighed. "'Listen to me, sounding like an absolute ninny. "'Oh, but S., the things that have been happening the last few days!' "'I know,' she hooked a thumb upwards at the attic. "'I've been watching.' "'You rascal!' another delighted chuckle. Then Fanny's eyes got big, and her mouth dropped open for three long seconds. "'You... Odessa, you didn't have anything to do... No, how could you have... But I heard some of the agents talking. Someone informed them.' She shivered slightly. "'Is that why you ran away? You discovered Miss Van Hastings was helping the rebels, so you had to tell on her?' At least someone believes that she was involved instead of being used. Honestly, what is wrong with men, S. said. Flutter your eyelashes, squeeze out a few tears, and pretend you're a brainless featherhead, and everyone believes every lie that drops out of your mouth. What do you think she's been teaching us all this time? The momentary fear fled, replaced by sparkles of mischief, though dimmer than usual. So you overheard things. I was hoping you'd be clever enough to pay attention, S. said. Tell me everything. Miss Van Hastings was reportedly infuriated that parents were demanding refunds of fees paid in advance. The soldiers were ostensibly there to guard Miss Van Hastings from reprisals by the resurrectionists, since she had loudly and repeatedly and wetly proclaimed that her brother had bullied her into silence and cooperation. She seemed to be genuinely dumbfounded when confronted with the existence of the tunnels under the school. Some of the rebels were dead, drowned in the flooded tunnels. Others were vilely sick, poisoned by smoke when the machinery in the tunnels burned up. And some were injured when gearboxes and mechanisms exploded, shooting cogs and gears and rods and belts in every direction. S. had seen several bodies on stretchers, but she had assumed those men were injured while resisting capture. She felt a little queasy at the thought she had killed someone. Still... That left maybe ten or a dozen resurrectionists still unaccounted for. The most disappointing discovery was that the proof she had sent to the Secret Service 
reinforced Miss Van Hastings' claims that she was her brother's puppet or dupe or pawn. All the instructions how to falsify financial documents and the bookkeeping of the school and what lies to tell people, all in his handwriting. What would it take to convince the authorities that the sister was just as culpable, just as involved as the brother? S. considered walking up to one of the soldiers and demanding to be taken to Agent Sutter, but what good would it do her? Who would believe the testimony of a 14-year-old girl? She would have to explain how she had come to overhear the conversations, and that would require admitting she had been hanging upside down from the attic window. No one would believe her. Even if they did, once they learned her grandparents were presumed dead and her brother had vanished, they would place a guardian over her. If she had to have guardians, S. wanted Giles and Hilda. But would anyone give her that choice? No, she would simply have to hope and pray for justice to fall on Miss Van Hastings, preferably brought about by her own actions in the future. S. wouldn't gamble her freedom just to give the headmistress one final push toward punishment. Past midnight, S. finally stepped out of the school for the last time. She would have liked nothing better than to climb up to her abandoned bedroom and curl up in her exceedingly comfortable bed, even if it had been stripped down to just the mattress, and sleep until she had caught up on the hours she had sacrificed over the last three weeks. That wasn't wise. Another day skulking in the shadows, hiding from another search of the grounds, and stealing food wasn't palatable to her. As the students were removed by the parents and the population dropped, her movements would be easier to detect. No, it was better if she left now. Two steps across a narrow gap of moonlight, heading for the bushes where she could slither under a gap in the fencing, a clear metal click-snick stopped her. S. began raising her hands, even before she recognized the sound of a rifle cocking. Turn around slowly, lad, a man ordered in a quiet baritone voice. S. held her breath, waiting for the moment the bright moonlight revealed she was a girl underneath her slouch cap and baggy, grimy boy clothes. The soldier looked her over, head to toes and toes back to head. Then the hard line of his mouth and his square-cut face softened. He gestured with the tip of his head for her to move out ahead of him. The big, heavy hand resting on her shoulder didn't feel threatening. Then again, she might just be so tired right now, she wasn't sure of what she sensed. For example, there was an odd sense of relief that she had been caught, and that didn't make any sense whatsoever. The soldier guided her to the main classroom building. Light spilled out when the door opened, and S. discovered that the first floor had been turned into a sprawling office for the Secret Service agents. The leader, Sutter, stood over a long table formed of four student study tables placed end to end, with maps and diagrams and papers everywhere. He worked in his shirt sleeves, his shirt-tail tugged out on his left side. He glanced up at S. and the soldier's entrance, turned away, then turned back a few seconds later, his frown deepening. "'You picked the wrong time to come thieving, boy,' he said, his voice a smooth, low baritone. "'Wasn't breaking in, sir,' the soldier said. He guided S. down into a chair, then finally removed his hand from her shoulder, caught him sneaking out. "'Out?' The left corner of Sutter's mouth crooked up. Think you found our ghost? He walked over and settled down on the side of the table directly in front of S, leaving about six feet of open floor between them. What's your story, lad? What ghost are you talking about, sir? S asked. She didn't have to try to disguise her voice. It was rough with exhaustion and thirst. 
Never mind. What were you doing hiding in the school? S. tried to sit up a little straighter. The exhaustion ached in her back and ribs, and the movement made the drawings tucked into the inner pocket of her coat crackle. She nearly smiled. This was the perfect opportunity to get the drawings to the Secret Service, let them know some men escaped them. Or maybe she was just so tired she wasn't thinking clearly. Looking for you, sir. Your agent Sutter? S. did grin now, when the agent grunted in surprise and sat up a little straighter. He glanced at the soldier, who had taken up the post in front of the door. I am. Why are you looking for me? Mr. Oppenheimer asked me. She glanced around, pretending to be afraid of being overheard, while her mind scrambled for more to add to her lie. Mr. Oppenheimer had left two years ago, before S. came to the academy, but the girls loved to giggle about him even now. The prevalent theory for why he had left suddenly, in the middle of a school session, was that he had worshipped Miss Van Hastings from afar until he finally got up the courage to approach her. Either he had fumbled badly with his courtship and fled in embarrassment, or Miss Van Hastings had driven him away with scorn. Oppenheimer? Sutter frowned, then nodded twice. I know the name. Former teacher. What about him? S. crossed her fingers, praying that Sutter and the Secret Service didn't know Mr. Oppenheimer had fled the country, back to his native Bavaria. He's still sweet on Miss Van Hastings. That's why he had to run away, you know. Her brother threatened to skin him alive, said he wasn't good enough for his sister. What did he ask you to do? S. reached into her coat and drew out the packet of drawings. Mr. Oppenheimer has been watching, and he drew pictures of all those men who were here— he was some glad when you hauled away the teacher lady's brother. She offered a mischievous grin, hoping it looked sufficiently boyish to suit the agent. The longer she sat under his unflinching regard, the more fidgety she felt. Any moment now, her cap would burst into flames, revealing her long hair tucked up underneath it, and the agent would finally realize she was a girl. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.